it's so good to be here with you, Purpose Claremont. Like, I have heard legends of this place, and it feels so good to be here uh, hanging out with you guys. Are you guys enjoying Purpose Claremont? Do you love this place? Man, that's so good. That's so good. And, um, If you are brand new, I'll just apologize uh, out the gate. Uh, Pastor Brian, who is our campus pastor here, who communicates uh, most weekends here, uh, he is not with us. He is in Canada right now. Um, I got a text from him yesterday that he is canoeing and hiking, two things of which I know nothing about, but he is doing those. And uh, and so he couldn't be here. He's actually speaking at a retreat uh, for some youth pastors and doing some awesome things. So uh, if this is your first time, you got to come back next week. It's going to be absolutely amazing. But, But but honestly, it is a privilege to be here with you, and I'm so excited about launching this brand new series. Um, we're, we're opening a series at both our Pomona campus and our Claremont campus called Clarity, Clarity Clarifying Questions About Faith. This is our series where we're going to explore question after question after question that both is people who love and follow Jesus and also people who are not yet quite following Jesus are asking and, you know, I was talking with John in the back. John and I were having a conversation early on before any of you got here. And we were talking about the beauty of the church and how the church should be the safest place to ask any questions. The church should be the place where we can wrestle, where we can come and walk in and say, I'm not sure I fully get this thing yet. And this morning, the question that we're tackling is, are science and faith compatible? That when it comes to what we are learning in science, and then compared with the scriptures, are these two entities enemies, or could they possibly be friends? I think this is an absolutely critical and essential question for us to answer. An article came out uh, a few weeks ago out of the National Geographic study that basically found that the fastest growing religion in the world right now is not Christianity, it's not Islam, It's atheism. The fastest growing religion right now is people who categorize themselves as religious nuns. If you're in that category, if you walked in this morning, you got drugged here, someone figured out a way to get you here, they promised to buy you dinner, I don't know what they said, but you're here and you're a religious nun or you're an atheist, we are so glad that you're here. We are so incredibly glad that you're here because I wonder if for some of you, That maybe the reason you're in that category or you know friends who are in that category is because when it comes to questions like science and faith, you've been sold a bad bill. That you've been told a lie or or you've, you've believed or thought that there is no connection, that there could be no friendship, there could be no relationship between the things that we're discovering in science and the things that you believe about God as if they're enemies, And my hope is this morning as we dive in that we can clarify some of those big questions for you. As we begin, I was kind of thinking, you know, in order to get where we're going this morning, that we might need to have a little bit of a mind change. That you may be walking in here saying, I don't want to learn anything about science. I just just need to like keep my mind turned off to science. I just need to watch Veggie Tales and go to church and that's it, right? And maybe this morning you need to have a little bit of a mind change. So I want to tell you about uh, two things where my mind changed around something that immediately to me sounded horrible. And I've heard that this crowd can be a little bit rowdy, that we can have fun here at Claremont. Can we have fun here at Claremont? Is that okay? 
All right, so I'm gonna need a little participation here just to see where you're at. I originally thought, when I heard about this concept that I'm about to share with you, I originally said this is the stupidest idea ever. Like, this makes no sense at all, and it was frozen yogurt. Okay, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You don't get this kind of body not visiting the parlor shop. You know what I mean? You don't have this without enjoying a little bit of cookie dough every once in a while. And so for me, I'm a big fan of ice cream. And when my wife introduced me to frozen yogurt, when she told me the concept, I was like, I don't even like yogurt freezing it. There's no cookie dough. What are you talking about? Like, this is a horrible idea. Can I ask this question? Is there anyone here who had a conversion experience like I did about frozen yogurt? Is there anyone who didn't like it at first and then fell in love with it? Pamela, I wanna thank you for your honesty right now because Pamela and I are on the same page here. I remember thinking it was horrible and then my wife, she brought me frozen yogurt and I got a tart flavor and I put gummy bears on top. I have the diet of a five-year-old. I put um, uh, blackberries and blueberries and strawberries and I fell in love with frozen yogurt and I totally had a mind change. Or how about, how about this one? Spaghetti squash, spaghetti squash. These two words should never be together, okay? I am a huge fan of Italian food. I love bread, I love Vince's, I love anywhere. If you ever wanna take me somewhere, let's go to have some spaghetti. I absolutely love it. And then again, my wife, who clearly is like, Eric, I don't want you to die at 45, and so we need to do something. She said, Eric, you gotta try this thing called spaghetti squash. I stay, I don't even know if spaghetti's a fruit or a veggie. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I don't even know what it is. I don't want anything to do with it. She said, you gotta try this. I eat my first plate of spaghetti squash and I fell in love, right? Like I fell deep for this thing, man. I absolutely love it because it tastes so good. I totally had this mind change. Or maybe, maybe for some of you, you initially thought that something sounded amazing and then you experienced it and realized, man, that couldn't be farther from the truth. The first one I wanna share with you about is juicing. Now, I would like to do an honesty poll here. Has anyone ever, and juicing I know has an illegal connotation, we're gonna talk about the legal one. Has anyone ever, has anyone ever like juiced up fruits and veggies and done that? Has anyone ever done a juice before? Okay, y'all are insane. That's crazy. That's absolutely stupid. So I remember my buddy Andrew, who's over here somewhere, Andrew came to me, and him and I have very similar body types, and he said, hey, if we want to keep our great body types, here's what we're going to have to do. We need to juice. And I'm thinking, this is great. I like strawberries. I like blueberries. This is cool. We're going to juice it up. It's going to kind of like be a blended thing. That's going to be awesome. He's like, all right, you can think that. Here we go. We go to the grocery store, and we get like like garlic, I think. I don't even know. We got garlic. We got... Um, cumin. We got, um, um, Andrew, what was the nasty stuff that we got? Jicama, right? Was it jicama, Andrew? The really spicy stuff, right? Okay, so we got jicama. We got all this absolutely gross stuff, and I was like, Andrew, those do not belong in the human body. That is not healthy for any human. We get home. We juice it up. Now, we had committed to a three-day juice, a three-day juice. You guys, I had my first one, and I thought I was in the pit of hell. I thought, I was like, this is where Satan loves to hang out and mess with people, because this is horrible. And so I'm drinking the first juice for breakfast, and I almost want to throw up. I drink the lunch one. It's even worse. We get to dinner, and our friends, the Schmitz, had invited us over for this, like, buffet dinner. And they had pizza. They had brownies. They had ice cream. They had, I mean, they had everything that I could possibly ever want. And I walked up there, and Andrew and I were holding our little juice, and it had, it had jicama in it, okay? And that stuff burns, you know what I mean? It burns. And so I literally am sitting there. 
and I begin to drink it, and I'm literally throwing up at, at like the birthday party or hangout or whatever we're at. I'm, I'm literally throwing up because it was just so horrible. I went in thinking, man, this is going to be awesome, and went out thinking that was horrible. And then the last one, the last one I want to share with you is, I don't know if this will resonate with any of you, scary movies. Anybody like scary movies? You can raise your hand. It's okay to say you're into scary movies. That's cool. Here's the thing. I'm into scary movies conceptually because I love the idea of like, you know, not knowing where the guy's going to jump out and you watch her like walk back into the house and you're like, no, don't walk in the house. And she's like, I forgot my hairbrush. And she's like walking into the house and you're like, don't go into the house. And you're flipping out. You know what I mean? Like, I love that experience. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. God wired me in such a way that every single scary movie I have seen, I play out for the rest of my life. And I've shared this before. I I live under the fear I'm going to be kidnapped. I absolutely do. All 200 pounds of me is going to be kidnapped. I'm absolutely convinced. I remember seeing one of my first scary movies and it just so like messed with me that even now, even now when my wife, like if she leaves for the weekend or something, no joke, I sleep with every light on in the house. Every light is on in the house. And the idea of scary movies sounds really, really cool. But once you're in it, for me, I'm going, ah, that's no good. That's no good. My hope is in in a similar way that I don't know how you're walking into this conversation when it comes to science and faith. Maybe you think it's a great idea. Maybe you think it's a horrible idea. I hope that if you think it's a great idea, that your understanding of why it's a great idea deepens. And my hope is that if you're walking in and you're going, there is no way on earth that science and faith could ever speak the same language, could ever be on the same page, could ever inform one another, then my hope is that your mind is changed. I wonder if some of you walk in this room having ever thought this question. Do I have to check my brain at the door in order to follow Jesus? Maybe you grew up in a culture or, or, or you're convinced that the world out there is, is so scary. And so what you need to do is you need to check your brain at the door in order to follow Jesus. And the opposite is true. The opposite, in fact, is that we are in a relationship with an infinite God, with a holy, perfect God. You know, the word holy literally means set apart. You know what that means for us? That means that where we only see part of the picture, God sees the whole thing. And so we don't need to be afraid knowing that God sees and knows everything and he is the author and the creator of all things and we get to experience him and we get to learn about his created world and so you don't need to check your brain at the door or maybe you've thought, are science and faith enemies or could they be friends? Or lastly, do I have to choose between science or faith? Now, I just wanna out the gate share with you we are gonna get into some pretty deep stuff. And so if you did check your brain at the door, if you woke up, maybe you didn't get a lot of sleep last night, let's turn it up because we are going somewhere this morning and my hope is at the end of our time together that you have more tools and more resources and your view of God is even bigger than when you walked in this room. Here's an important distinction. Here's what you need to understand about the difference between science and faith. Science focuses on answering the how questions while while faith focuses Focuses on answering the why and the who questions. So you need to understand, it's as if they're telling the same story, but they're using different language. And so science is trying to reveal how it is that things came to be, but the scriptures and our relationship with God, they inform us about who it was that got this whole thing started. And then the deeper question that every single one of us wrestles with every single day is, why am I here? Why did God plan me? Why is it important that I be here? You see, those are questions 
that no scientist, no pure scientist could ever answer. And so you see how they're telling the same story, maybe just asking different questions. And here's our big idea. If you miss everything or tune out or you're watching the Rams, here's what you need to clue in on. Good science gives us a front row seat to the glory of God. Good science, science that reveals the complexity of our world, science that reveals the miraculous gives us a front row seat to the glory of God. So here's the two questions. Here's here's in two questions where we are going this morning, and it's this. Is there evidence for a created universe? How miraculous is life on planet Earth? And then what difference does that make to us? This is where we're going this morning. Is there evidence for a created universe? So we're gonna start real big here. We're gonna start at the macro, and then we're gonna kind of zoom in on planet Earth, and then ultimately zoom in to each one of you and I's lives. Let's start with this one. Is there evidence for a created universe? Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 to verse 5, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we're going to talk about heavens, and then we're going to talk about earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, many of you have maybe read these words before or you've heard these words before. You've heard other people share these words and maybe it's like in one ear and out the other. But my hope is that after our gathering, that as we look at just verse one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You will never, ever, ever think of these words the same. That as you read this one sentence, the opening pages to the story of God, that you will just stop there and go, God is unbelievable. He's beyond my imagination. I can't believe what God pulled off. And it begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here's what's interesting about the word heavens. In the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was written in, the word for heavens is samayim. And, and the Hebrews, the ancient thinkers, they're thinking about sort of four different dimensions to this word heavens. The first one they're thinking of is sky. That's, that's the level kind of just right above earth where like sort of the birds would fly. The next sort of area they're thinking about is the upper atmosphere. This is where clouds, rain, and snow come from. And you can see that in each one of the, uh, a lot of it in Psalms and throughout the Old Testament that whenever the word heavens is being used, it's usually referring to one of these descriptions. The The third would be sort of the outer space. This is where the sun and the moon and the stars, where all 10 trillion, trillion of them reside. And then lastly, it's the dwelling place of God. It's eternity with God. It's where God resides. So here's here's, here's, here's where we have to begin. That when we talk about science and faith, and as you're going to see as we go through this, there is so much intimacy, and there's a marriage, and there's a relationship between science and faith. And what we read about in the scriptures, scientists are confirming in an incredibly powerful way. But the first question is, what are the odds that it just happened? So let's just take God out of the equation. Let's just say, you know what, I just don't know if I can go there yet. It's easier for me to believe, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue later how it actually takes more faith to believe that this whole thing just happened, but let's just go there for a second. What are the odds that it just happened? 
If you took all the carbon in the universe and put it on the face of the earth, allowed it to chemically react at the most rapid pace possible, and left it for one billion years, the odds of creating just one protein molecule would be one in 10 to the 61th power. I literally learned a new vocabulary. That is one to the 10, 10 novembicillin. Now, if you're going on a first date, let me just hook you up for a second, okay? If you're on a first date with somebody and you're trying to like impress them and show them how smart you are, just use the phrase 10 to the novembicillin, marriage, guaranteed. You know what I mean? Guaranteed to blow their minds and show you how smart you are. This is a statistical, this is a statistical improbability. There is absolutely no way. I mean, scientists are literally realizing that in order for this whole thing to have started without a causer, it's absolutely impossible. In fact, Sir Frederick Hoyle, he's an astronomer, stellar nucleosynthesis theory. When was the last time in church you heard somebody go, by the way, I know a stellar nucleosynthesis theorist, right? It doesn't happen. I don't actually know him, but this is what he said. This scenario is about as likely as a tornado whirling through a junkyard and accidentally assembling a fully functional 747. So friends, the idea that there is no God, it just doesn't make sense. And, and, and if you're at that place and you're like, I'm just not convinced yet, that's okay. We got like 30 more slides to go. So we'll see where, we'll see where we land. But this, this is just science. This is just evidence right here. So let's go back to the question, is there evidence for a created universe? There's this cosmological argument for the existence of God. And basically it says this, that everything came from something. I mean, that, that makes sense. We believe that, right? Like, like this Bible that I'm holding, none of you, none of you walked into this room being like, it's an absolute miracle that Bible just appeared in Eric's hands. That all of you believe that this started in some publishers, that they took some leather, they bound it together, that this Bible and every single living thing had a causer, it had a starter, that something brought about its existence. And what's crazy is in the argument of whether there exists a God or not, you essentially have to believe that something came from nothing. For me, when I go, man... What's just easier, what, what, what just makes more logical, rational sense that something came from something or that something came from nothing? For me, that's, that's a little easier. Claim number one is this, that everything, ha- everything that had a beginning had a cause. Claim number two, the universe had a beginning. Therefore, the universe had a cause. So this is incredibly important as we're starting really big picture before we zoom in on planet Earth, as we're talking about at a, at a universal level, Believing that this whole thing got started by something is absolutely key. Why do we believe that? It's not just because, and and I I believe because it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, I, I believe that that's why. But what's so beautiful is that science and faith are not enemies. They actually confirm one another. Check out the law of thermodynamics. The second law of thermodynamics says this, the universe has a finite amount of resources and they are being consumed. This means that the universe wasn't just eternally present. The universe just wasn't always here. That because the universe has a finite, a limited amount of resources, that it wasn't always existing. Or check out this one, the expanding universe theory. It was proven in the 1920s by Edwin Hubble via telescope from a single starting point that the universe had a beginning. 
that the universe is expanding. If the universe is expanding, that means that the universe had a beginning. We're going to get to just how beautiful it was and how God created that, but I want to look at this last one with you. The, general, the theory of general relativity. Einstein mathematically proved to the fifth decimal that time, space, and matter are co-relative and interdependent. Here are just three of a few scientific realities, scientific truths that prove that this whole thing didn't just randomly appear but that there was a causer, that there was something who got this whole thing going. I love this quote from, from a contemporary of Einstein. This guy is a non-religious astronomer, phys- was a non-religious astronomer, physicist, and a mathematician, and he said this after working with Einstein. He said, the beginning seems to present insuperable difficulties unless we agree to look on it as frankly supernatural. So yeah, this this is... In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In, in a few chapters, God tells his creation story. And, and, and the book of Genesis is not a scientific textbook. It's the story of God. And it, as we're going to see over and over and over again, it is complementing what science is teaching us. There's 10 trillion stars, 10 trillion trillion stars in the universe. There are 100 billion stars just in our galaxy. The average distance between each star is 30 trillion miles. Here's what's insane about the sun. They've discovered that the sun is 9,000 degrees Fahrenheit. I mean, it's just sitting up there as this ball of hydrogen interacting with each other, exploding at the rate of 9,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And when scientists look at the sun, they actually call it a small star among the others. They, they know of stars that are, that are, uh, are 50,000 degrees Fahrenheit. You see, God, when he created all of this, he left his prints everywhere. He, he didn't want us to miss his holiness his hugeness, the, the gravity of who he is as our creator. And he left details and opportunities for us through science to discover who he is because science gives us a front row seat to the glory of God. Check out how Isaiah puts it. He says, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Or check out how the psalmist words it. The heavens declare the glory of God. This is what we're talking about. I mean, as, as you look up, And with what you can see with your own eyes, it's only a fraction of what is out there. And the stars through science are telling us about the who and the why of God. They're they're literally declaring the glory of God because it's a miracle that they exist. Because it doesn't make sense for them to exist outside of God. And so just their very presence, just the sun out there beaming at 9,000 degrees is like God is alive. God is real. God is the creator. I mean, you can't look at that stuff and go, well, it just somehow got here. It doesn't scientifically make sense because day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. So it doesn't make sense to, to look at the universe and say it just somehow got here. But what about life here on planet Earth? 
Is life really that miraculous here? Let's go back to our text. In the beginning, God created the heavens and he created the earth. Jump to verse 20. And God said, the, waters, uh, the water teem with living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This happens all over the, the creation story where God creates something. He's like, dang, that's awesome. That's amazing. You know, I have a lot of friends who are really, really good at woodwork. And I watch them, they make something, and it's like, that is really beautiful. That's really, really good. That's what God's doing here is he's, he's offering commentary on what he's creating. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. Maybe you've read these words before. And again, you're going, I, I just don't see the miracle in it. I, maybe they've, they've, the words have become so... Um, common to you that they've lost their miraculous the word earth in hebrew is heretz and it means fields ground and land and so i hope at this point that as we've looked at the question of is there evidence for a created universe that your mind is beginning to expand and be aware that man god got this whole thing started that everything we're looking out there is an absolute miracle, that he was the one who caused it all. And as science informs us and shapes us and, and tells us how he went about that, that's an awesome exploration into the glory of God. But what about life on planet Earth? Did, did God leave enough for us to be blown away by how wonderful and amazing and how miraculous he is? This section is my favorite. Check out this. Scientists have discovered something called the 122 constants. And what they are is they're scientific truths, scientific realities that coexist at the same time that prove that life on planet Earth is an absolute statistical miracle. And here's what I love about God. He just didn't leave a few of these things. I mean, he literally loaded our, loaded our Earth with evidence that it is a statistical miracle that he prepared this place for us and that you and I are here. And I don't know if you knew this, but when you walked in here, when you woke up this morning, it was a statistical miracle that every breath you take in, that every day you live is actually a statistical miracle. Let me share a few of you. Let me share a few of them with you this way. Oxygen. So oxygen fills 21% of our atmosphere, right? Here's what science has discovered, and here's what's so beautiful about the way God has created it so perfectly and scientifically is that if there was less oxygen, if there was 20% oxygen in our atmosphere, what they've discovered is that humans would immediately suffocate, that none of us could be there. And if there was 22%, that fires would erupt everywhere. And so when God created planet Earth for us, he did it in such a way that it was so perfect for us to be able to breathe. In fact, I want us all to do this together. On the count of three, I want you to take a deep breath in. One, two, three. And then exhale. The scriptures. The scriptures say that that's a miracle. All over the Old Testament and New Testament, you'll read phrases like this. God gives life and breath to every living being. And some of you may have heard that before and you're going, yeah, it's just, it's just a nice, pithy, cute way of describing that God gives us life. No, no, no. It's very specific. That God created our world, our earth, in such a way that you and I could take deep breaths in and not die or be in constant fires. Check out this next one. 
If the gravitational force, if the gravitational force was altered by 0.000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
If the rotation of the earth took longer than 24 hours, temperature differences would be far too extreme. If it took less than 24 hours, atmospheric wind velocities would be too extreme. And you can read all 122 of these over and over and over again, and you will begin to see that this God is absolutely brilliant. That this God is a scientific genius That this God, through the pages of scripture, as he answers the who questions, as he answers the why questions, that he is not afraid of the how questions because he is the author of them all. In fact, Hugh Ross, astrophysicist, says this, the probability of these 122 constants coexisting simultaneously without a designer would be 10 to the 138th power. Robert Jastrow, astronomer, director of Mount Wilson, founder of NASA's Goddard Institute of Space and Studies, he said this, that there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. But it's not just out there, and it's not just right here, but it's in us. See, towards the close of the creation story in Genesis chapter one, we learn something about God. God says this, let us make mankind in our image. God clues us into this reality that there is some Trinitarian Father, Son, Holy Spirit dimension to who God is, that he wants us to understand God as a relational being. God is not just isolated by himself. God is in perfect relationship with himself in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And after he makes all of these things and says, it's good, it's good, it's good, then he has the most brilliant idea. I'm pretty grateful for it. He has this amazing idea to create mankind. But he says these words, he says, I'm to create mankind in our image. What this means is that he is going to put his image inside of you. That that you and I were created like mirrors to reflect him everywhere we go. That every part of our lives, that our sexuality, that our relationships, that our careers, that the way we treat our friends and family, that every part of us would reflect him perfectly so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. When it says rule and when it says subdue, it's not talking about explore. It's not talking about taking advantage of. It's not talking about treating the earth in such a way where it just benefits us. It's talking about leadership. It's talking about being a steward. It's talking about you and I as people who have been created in the image of God. Taking care of things the way God would take care of things. See, what's beautiful about this is that God shows off in the universe He shows off on planet earth and then he shows off inside of each one of you. That your desire to have meaning and significance and purpose, your desire to be in relationships with people, your desire for your life to matter is not something you invented. It's not something just science gave you. It's something God intentionally instilled and hardwired inside of you. 
You, you see, as an, as an image bearer of God, he created you to steward, to lead, to have impact. You see, this God, he shows off in your heart. He shows off in your life. He shows off in the fact that no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what your past has looked like, no matter what mistakes you've made, that maybe some of you have said, you know what, my story is over because of all the things I've done, that there is a period at the end of my story, I'm absolutely done. This God who put his image inside of you is able to redeem and restore and do more through and in you than you could ever imagine possible. You see, when you and I put a period to the end of our story, God adds a little line and puts a comma there and says, I'm not done yet that I have more for you. That as you see me at a universal level in galaxies and in stars and in just the brilliance of what I've made and as, as you see me in the details of oxygen and gravity, I want you to know that I want to be just as involved and invested in your life. That I want to actually write your story. And maybe some of you, you've been writing your story for a really, really long time. And you think it's over. You think this is how it's going to end. But God is the God of commas. God is the God of like whatever those dashed lines are called. God is the God of taking your story and writing his own version with it. The question is, the question is for us at a very personal level. Are you willing to give the pen of your life to God? Are you willing to hand it over to him and say, man, I thought this is what was going on out there, but now that I realize literally every breath I take in is a statistical miracle and is a gift from you, I'm gonna stop thinking that I'm the best author for my story and I'm going to instead hand you the pen and let you write my story because you did a pretty stinking good job writing this story. So here's my life, God. Here's my pen. Write the story that you wanna tell. I want to just offer a few closing thoughts before we jump back into worship. Dr. James Tour says this, I stand in awe of God because of what he has done through his creation. Only a rookie who knows nothing about science would say science takes away from faith. If you really study science, it will actually bring you closer to God. And interestingly enough, this is exactly what Paul in the year AD 57 was trying to get across to his little church when he said these words. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. You see, in a, in a very general way, we can look at the world and actually logically, scientifically conclude that God got this whole thing started, but that's not enough. God's desire is not just that you would believe that there is a God. His desire is that you would be in relationship with him, that you would know him. It's like, it's like let's say, um, just yesterday, my wife went to Glen Ivy. Anyone ever been to Glen Ivy before? Never could afford it, so I don't get to go. But she goes to Glen Ivy. And, um, and, and, and the whole day, I'm watching the kids, okay? And, and that, that, that entails um, a lot of Chick-fil-A and ordering pizza and movies. And so we're, I'm watching the kids. But in this little bit of time I had, I, I cleaned up around the house. So I wanted to look nice as Sarah got in. And, and I had pizza ready for us. I didn't make it, but I bought it. And it's there and on time. And so pizza's ready there for us. 
Now, if Sarah were to walk into the room, if Sarah were to walk in the room and go, I love a clean house, this is amazing. And then she were to walk into the kitchen and go, man, I love that there's pizza right here for me. This is incredible. I love this. This is absolutely amazing. And all the while, I'm standing back in the corner and she never acknowledges me. She never looks at me and says, Eric, thank you for this. I know this took a lot of brain power for you. Thank you for this. Thank you. That she would have totally missed it. And I think a lot of us walk around and we enjoy so much of what God has created. And we've even forgot about the miraculous, the breath that we take in, the gravity that sits us down, the way the earth tilts. But maybe we've become a little bit aware of it and we're like, man, I love today. And this is amazing, this is great, but we've missed out on acknowledging who got the whole thing started. Then we miss it. See, God is not just interested in you enjoying his artwork. He wants you to enjoy the artist. God is not just interested in you marveling at his creation. He wants you to marvel at him as your creator. And this is where you and I hand him the pen of our lives. And we say, you can write this story. You see, science and faith, they are very much compatible because they both point to the same God. They tell the same story using different language because good science gives a front row seat to the glory of God. Now, as, as we jump back into worship, um, Pastor Glenn is actually preaching uh, his own version of this at the Pomona campus. And I would encourage any of you to watch it because we're actually kind of talking about slightly different things. But throughout this whole series, we've created a website called purposechurch.com slash clarity where you'll be able to watch video sermons from both the Claremont and the Pomona campus. There'll be life group discussion questions and there's also a bunch of book recommendations, DVD recommendations. So if you're just beginning to dive into this and you wanna get your mind blown, make sure you go to purposechurch.com slash clarity. And the last thing I want to say is I fundamentally believe the best place to work out these big ideas is in community. I'm a huge fan of Rooted. I love that we do that here. And it has literally changed thousands of people's lives and their understanding of the church. The church is not just us gathering here in a big room. The church is what happens when we in small groups get together and know each other on an intimate level. And we grow together and we challenge one another and we hold each other accountable. And so as we're opening this idea, as your mind is hopefully being expanded as mine is to the beauty of God and the reality that he is the creator and he wants us to know him as our creator, that you would think about what does that look like for you? Maybe taking one step closer into community. None of you are a mistake. None of you got here by accident. In fact, it's a statistical miracle you're here. And because of that, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. No matter what yesterday looked like, no matter what this last year looked like, if you will hand him the pen and stop putting periods and closing the book, if you will say, my life is yours to write with, he will do what only he can do. Get ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for our time together this morning. Man, I know, God, as we're 
kind of diving into, even for me, Lord, just some really heady kind of stuff and looking at science and faith and the way they tell the same story and the way science gives us this front row seat to your glory and to your, to your power and to your miraculous nature, Lord. I pray that in the middle of the science, we wouldn't miss you. God, thank you that you have left innumerable prints of yourself as our creator. And I would say most notably in our lives. Because God, it's, am- it's amazing what you did in the universe. It's incredible what you've done on planet Earth. But it's, it blows my mind when I see people who know nothing of you falling on their faces before you in worship. People who had a story and have lived a life that they're not proud of and watching you redeem, watching you rewrite, watching you take the pen of their lives and tell a story that only you could do. And so for my brothers and sisters in this room who right now their story is broken and they're hurting, Lord, I pray that you would remind them that that with the same power you got the universe started and with the same miraculous quality that you created this planet Earth, that you have the power and the ability to write a better story with our lives than we could ever write on our own. So God, I ask that you would do what only you could do in this time. That God, you would blow our minds with how big and wonderful and amazing you are. And thank you that you've invited us to draw near that you've invited us to yourself. So we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.